Blog Talk Radio. How's it going, everyone? Green Living Guy here. I know it's been a while. Don't even say anything. I've just been quite busy. I got a, well, where do I start? I got a um, book tour I'm working on, so stay tight on that. But here's the initial dates we've got. Devon, Pennsylvania on October 14th this year. We've got the next day after that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've got Santa Monica. That's right, Santa Monica, Barnes & Noble on October 15th. And then we've got, so far on October 30th, Freehold, New Jersey. But there's more coming. So stay tight, stay tuned, and there will be more coming. And, of course, we're going to be talking about things like building your own electric vehicle, the Green Guru Guides. I mean, we've got so many books out now, it's pretty crazy, but uh, check it out. You know, we're talking about we've got Solar Energy for Your Home from David Finley. We've got Do-It-Yourself Home Energy Audits from David, which actually I got into a story on MSNBC.com and ABCNews.com with the Associated Press basically saying that do-it-yourself home energy books is the book on energy audits, believe it or not. So <clears throat> we got that. We've got, let's see, do, uh, build your own electric motorcycle seems to be popping and doing pretty well to the point where Carl Vogel, the author of the book, is even challenging Orange County choppers. Why, of all people? Because Orange County Choppers did a show about building their own electric motorcycle. The only thing was Vogel, <laughs> i got to love him, Carl Vogel, he decided to calculate all the things out of what they said that they put into that motorcycle. And guess what, folks? It doesn't add up. So what do you think? They fudged it. So Carl wants to do his own little bit where... He challenges them, not in a bad way, guys. Come on. We don't challenge people in the green world on a bad way. We're just going to show them what's up. So Carl wants to help them build their own appropriate electric motorcycle, which is what we're going to do. So that's the greatest part about building your own electric motorcycle, building your own electric vehicle. In fact, my buddy over in Electric Cars in New York, Eric Olowski, is now building somebody else their own electric vehicle which is great. So realize there's a lot going on here, people, and it's pretty exciting. Um, we soon are going to have on the phone John Volker from Green Car Reports, and we're going to talk about the EV wrap-up here, basically our good old EV wrap-up show, which is about everything going on in electric cars plug-in hybrids, the whole bit, right? Because we got to do it right, people. So, well, I'm waiting for Mr. Volker. Yes, I'm waiting. What do you want me to do here? Um, I'm waiting for John. We're going to keep talking about what's important here. So, I recently read into an article, which doesn't have anything yet to do with electric cars, but the point is, people, is that there was a recent report that came out that showed that people, even with all this flooding of all these people 
telling people what to do about going green, all these concerts and everything, people still don't know how to go green. And I've been saying that for a while, that there's just so much out there. People don't know what to do. So if we're going to take it one step at a time and one thing at a time, why don't you listen to my shows? Because each one of my shows has some little thing you can buy for yourself or get for yourself as a guide where you can become like that little green guru out there. I mean, look, people think that I think because the green guru guides, I'm the green guru. No. Listen, we're trying to make you guys green gurus. I can't be the only one. Everybody's got to get smarter on going green. Everybody's got to get smarter about what they can do and realize it's not that difficult. That green jobs is not something that's so far-fetched. I mean, a green job, I'll give you one that I know of recently while waiting for John. A green job would be if a boiler guy, a guy who does HVAC work, right, Say your boiler or your HVAC is outdated and they've got these new updated ones. Well, who's the guy that does that? It's not new. some guy who wears a green shirt and comes in and does it. It's the same guy who would have replaced your HVAC or built you a new one. Who's the guy who would come in and fit, put in a brand new, I don't know, train air conditioner condenser or anything like that that's efficient? saves you money on energy. It's the same guys. So jobs really, in that respect, don't change. The only ones that really do that we're talking about is, uh, you know, how should I say it, the type of power we're using. You know, there's no need to be using coal, nuclear. I always love saying nuclear. And... uh, all the other bad, like natural gas, we could be doing more solar, more wind, more geothermal, more tidal. All those types of things are frankly are what nature gave us, right? We've got plenty of wind. We get sun, right? Right? We get sun. We get wind. We have geothermal energy underneath us or geoheat exchange underneath us, right? And we got tides. I'm not talking about the dishwasher detergent or that washing detergent. I'm talking about tides, ocean tides. We got plenty of them. Now imagine if there were little propellers around there cycling that stuff. Like remember when you were in your bathtub and you took the water and you poured it down? That little thing that spun the wheels? Well, we're talking the same thing. Instead of doing hydroelectric, use nature's energy itself. Right? Wouldn't that be smarter? Wouldn't that be logical? Wouldn't that help more? Anyway, if anybody wants to call, they can. Uh, I'm going to start now with the Green Living Guy show, opening up the phones to people, because I want to start hearing people. The call in number is 347 637 Look, if nobody calls today, it's all right. No worries. No stop. No stopping here. But it's important for people to know that uh, the show's going to start expanding. We're gonna, this one's going to be a half an hour. But going forward, 
I'm going to even open it up to an hour and start getting calls from people because I want to hear what you think about going green. I want to hear what your concerns are. I want to hear and help you go green. I mean, that's really what this is all about, people. I know I've been doing these interviews and having fun and whatever, but really what it's all about is getting people to go green one step at a time. And I think that it's plausible to do. I think it's logical. And I think that more people realize that you can do it, uh, the better off we are. So I'm just going to keep on going here because it's the right thing to do. So check this out. we got Green Lighting Book coming on in October. Getting a lot of traction. A lot of traction, which is great because we need it, right? Don't we need more green lighting? And green lighting really is about, how do you put it? I don't know, changing your lighting. (laughs) Uh, But it's in a funny way. Uh, We're talking about LEDs, light-emitting diodes is the next best thing. We're talking about all that kind of stuff, and I think that's really what's important here, is how we can really green our lighting. And I think that that's what's going to happen here due to this book. Uh, It's coming out in October. Another thing, too, I want to mention that I just noticed, I told told this to a friend yesterday, and they said, you need to start telling this to people. All of my books, people, are on ebook. So you can get a cheaper version on ebook. If you go on to Amazon, Bard, Borders, Barnes & Noble, or any of these, you should find the e-version. If you don't, email me at greenlivingguy@gmail.com, and I'll get you that link without a, without a doubt, because all of our books are e. If you don't want to get an FSC certified paper version of the book, hey, then we go e. You know, that's the future. That's the way it is, and the future is now. So let's just do that, right? And I think that's what's important about the Green Living Guy, the Green Guru Guides, and about everybody going green is let's do it as cool and as clean and as smart as possible. So that's what's great about uh, the Green Guru Guides and about going green. And I think that's what people need to really start to wrap their head around, that it's there for them. Uh, Another thing, too, is I want to thank my supporters that are out there. First off, we've got a great company called A Lot to Say, www.alottosay.com. What's so great about them, people? Well, let's start with the basics. Their products are made out of 100% recycled plastic bottles. So those suckers don't go into landfills. Those things don't go anywhere bad but onto the products. Now, I know they got the handbags, so take it easy, people. But they got umbrellas. They got scarves for those ladies. And I tell you right now, those ladies love them scarves. They've got shirts. Yep, they got shirts. They got underwear. Ladies, get that underwear from a lot to say. Uh, they got some great pictures of it, too, on the, on the the uh, on their website, which I dig so much. And 
they're coming out with new products too. They even got art, art, because they're the stuff they put on their clothes is 100% art. But it's great statements, man. And I think once you go to a lot to say dot com, you'll see some of their great products. Realize they got something to say. But more important, we're talking about the fact that they're recycled plastic bottles, 100%. They take out all the bad plastics, all the bad toxins, all the bad stuff, right? And they make this really thin fiber that then is used for their products. And it's so thin, or it can be durable for a shirt or an umbrella, but because it's so great, it's getting such rave reviews all over the place. We're talking tree hugger. We're talking everywhere, guys. And I think that's what's great. I think we got Johnny on the line. Hold on, please. Are you there, John? I am. Hey, we got John Volker. How's it going? We got John Volker from Green Car Reports, senior editor, chief aficionado of Green Car Reports. And we're going to finally start up this green... EV wrap-up show. So how's it going, John? What's What's been cooking in your world? Um, it's actually sort of slow news time. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately having cell phone problems, so if this ancient handset goes away, um, yes. you'll know what happened. All righty. <laughs> um, yes, yes, we too have battery problems. Yeah, anyway, yeah, um, right. <laughs> trying to think That's what's going on. Obviously, everybody's really waiting for the rollout of the 2011 Nissan Leaf and 2011 oh, yeah. Chevy Volt. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, I think there's, there's some questions over how dealers who've been selling gasoline-powered cars for low these decades are going to actually deal with having to explain to customers about installing 240-volt charging equipment in their garage, more so with the Leaf than with the Volt, um, and working with local electric companies and so forth. I think there's another question, especially given the limited quantities, um, as to whether or not the dealers are going to put massive surcharges on the cars. Um, There was an email from a California dealer that came out several weeks ago now that essentially said, the list price of the Chevy Volt is $41,000 before the income tax rebates, and we're going to add twenty grand on top of that. Um, that will not make friends, and unfortunately Whoa. the automakers cannot actually control that because most states have laws that say it's illegal for an automaker like GM to sell you a car directly. It has to be sold through an independently owned third-party uh, vendor which is to say an auto dealership. And those laws they, uh, the last time I checked, though, the auto manufacturer can tell the dealers what they, what they can and can't sell it for. Uh, there, there are various limitations on that. They are independent third-party businessmen, and I don't think that, G, that GM or any other maker can flatly say you will only charge this. Dealerships okay. have the ability to bargain and, you know, there are ways around it. Um, popular models sometimes end up with $500 floor mats and $1,500 wax jobs and, you know, <laughs> pinstripes that cost a grand and things like that. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's essentially the free market at work. And if, in fact, people really want 
a new electric car quick enough um, that they're willing to pay that extra money, dealers, dealers will get it. AutoNation, to its credit, the largest dealership chain in the country, came up right out and said, we're not going to impose those kinds of surcharges. But uh, we'll see in the end how all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that um, up here in Westchester County in New York that because there's a lot of people that go nuts or went nuts for the Prius, mm-hmm. that they put a they put a um, at some points they put a five thousand dollar premium on top. When gas you know, prices course, are expensive, yeah, that's and that's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about here. But you know, it's important to to remember the numbers are pretty low. Um, Chevrolet is going to sell build and sell 10,000 volts between start of production in November or December and December 2011. So in, you know, 13 or 14 months, you're going to have 10,000 cars the first year. Um, Nissan was originally planning to sell, I think, 12,000 Leafs in the U.S., but in fact they've redirected a lot of that production toward Japan, so the number is down drastically from there into four figures. You know, we're not talking hundreds of thousands of electric cars in the next couple of years. These are going right. to be right. limited rollouts. Yep, yep. Well, they still can't believe that the market's going to buy this stuff in the first place. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that they believe pretty strongly that the early adopters will, in fact, jump for these cars. I think it's more a question of once you get through that, set of early adopters who have to have the latest thing, who will be the evangelists, will, you know, and I'm making air quotes here, will normal American car buyers actually shift over and buy a car that you have to plug in, especially in the case of the Leaf, if it only has 100 miles of range. It's very much an unknown, and, you know, electric cars over the next decade are going to get better and cheaper and longer range, but... You know, I, I tend to spend a lot of time answering the question, are electric cars going to bring down the power grid? And the answer is no, no because there aren't going to be very many of them. It's a predictable rollout. Look at yeah. look at hybrids. It took 11 years for hybrids to get to where they are now, which is about 3% of new car sales yeah, in the dumb. U.S. market, and that's the highest in the world. Right. That's impressive. I mean, 3%. Given the fact that the original mandates were for California, were that these cars were going to be like 10% of the fleet, and right. they're not even there. So, right, and that's so. across the country. Now they're higher in California; they're lower in places like like North Dakota. But oh yeah, you know yeah. it's it's not unreasonable to think that. Well, they got them gems up there. <laughs> uh, we do not count cars I'm that kidding. go on the highway. That was they can't, sorry, they can't go on the highways. I simply ignore neighborhood electric vehicles. End of story. Right, right. No, I was just saying that in Fargo, if worse comes to worse, they've got them low speed. they got the gem where manufacturer right there. So uh-huh. anyway, I digress. Um, what are you getting about the reception to the Volt? Um, I haven't heard anything particularly different lately. I think people are intrigued by it. In some ways, it's a harder proposition to explain. You know, people think it's a hybrid, which it isn't. It's an electric vehicle that has this gasoline-powered generator on board. Yeah, on the backup. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, Chevrolet is clearly marketing it as 
the electric car that you can take on road trips. And to some degree, I mean, <laughs> Chevrolet now has, I think, its third marketing chief in the last 12 months. So th- their marketing has not been incredibly coherent over this rather turbulent time for General Motors. But, well, that's under, that can be understood. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, they, they don't know Adam from Apple, and they're changing CEOs like people change poker hands at some Sure. Point. Well, right. I, the people in the Volt program have been with the car for a while, but mm-hmm. now it's sort of shifting out of, or it has shifted out of advanced technology and the engineering development process right. into Chevrolet marketing. Um, mm-hmm. we, are, we are now thankfully past the first marketing manager who's, approach appeared to be, yeah, it's the car between the um, Malibu and the Chevy Cruze, um, which is a, let's just say, I think, a suboptimal way to approach marketing the car. Beyond a suboptimal way, yeah. Um, But, you know, thus far the marketing we've seen has been slightly schizophrenic. It's an electric car, but you don't have to worry about it being an electric car. You can take it on road trips, but it can be zero emissions. You know. uh, yeah, so, I don't get that full marketing strategy. But well, anyway. it, it's tough because they want to sell the benefits of an electric car while drawing a clear line that they're not, they, they don't have what are perceived to be the drawbacks of an electric car, specifically range anxiety. So I think, the, I think they'll work it out, but I, I hope to see marketing coming from Chevy that reflects the fact that this car is more sort of Apple iPod or iPad like, you know, as a a piece of technology that really does change the way you do something, as opposed to just another Chevy that happens to have a different way to run it around. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I agree with your your assessment on it. I just hope that marketing is listening. Yeah. So hopefully, GM marketing department, you're listening to this. <laughs> and if not, well, we'll get you a copy of this. <laughs> thus, thus far, the new the new head of GM marketing, Joel Awanek, who um, came from Hyundai, okay. uh, is has gotten pretty good reviews thus far. Um, you know, it's very early, and and obviously, marketing a brand like Chevrolet is a ship with a lot of momentum that turns slowly. But uh, but we'll see. I think. You know, I'm just looking forward to seeing each of those cars in the dealerships and actual customers with checkbooks walking around asking real-life questions about the cars, and I think the manufacturers will learn a lot at that point. Well, they'll learn how to sell it, I think. I think they'll learn how to sell it. And I'll be honest with you, the ones that are given the most (laughs) – it's quite quite obvious, at least when I did the – Think Clean Commute program in New York City, mm-hmm. in New York State, mm-hmm. that dealers and especially salesmen are always attracted to one thing money. when it comes to selling a car, and it's money, yes. and incentive money. And in and fact, I remember, our writer uh, on, we have another site as well as greencarreports.com, <laughs> electric.com and our writer Nikki Gordon Bloomfield who happens to be in the UK is a big electric car fan so she wandered down to her local Nissan dealer and said in essence hi I hear you've got this electric car coming you know tell me about it and she wrote a devastating article that essentially said not only did the salesman not know very much about the car 
he flat out gave me misinformation about the financial incentives, the car's range, what it would do, and instead of sort of assessing her needs, tried to steer her into what he had on the floor that day. That's right. Uh, typical worst salesman behavior. Um, I'm told that the, the article that she wrote got quite a lot of attention from Nissan UK, which is always sort of nice. But I think it's emblematic of the kinds of problems you have with sort of the worst half of yep. the, the sales force. Yeah, the one thing that we noticed when Ford and, and the Think guys um, gave extra incentive money to the dealers per sale, mm-hmm. and they real, you know, these dealers said, hey, I don't get just my money, but I get possibly the opportunity, you know, to go out on the town or something like that or save, you know, pay for that extra bill. I'm going to work my tail off to do that. And we had some guys like in Scarsdale, New York, that became like the aficionados of selling these things. Right. And it's because it was just because of the money. Yeah. If if you find... I'm sorry. I was just going to say that... a car is a car is a car. Granted, you know, there's a difference between gas and electric. But if you incentivize a dealer or a salesman the same way or even better initially to get those cars on the road, these dealers will know and these salesmen will know how to sell because salesmen know how to sell. Yeah. You know, they're good at that. That's why they're there. The and, question is whether they sell the car that meets the expressed needs of the buyer, especially when you have an entirely new category of people. I think one of the problems for Chevrolet is that the early adopters who will be looking to buy a Volt probably have to look up where their local Chevy dealer is because unless they have a Chevy truck, they haven't even considered a Chevrolet passenger vehicle for 20 or 30 years. It's great in the long run for Chevrolet because they get a new set of customers, but, you know, whether if you have an old-style Chevy dealer who's used to selling cars to people who are willing to buy American cars and doesn't have to put up with the sort of, my wife had an 89 Cavalier and it was crap, so I'm never buying one again kind of attitudes. You know, if you get essentially a, young, a younger person who's comfortable with advanced technology, digital technology, and is willing to invest the time in cultivating customers who, you know, are not the typical Chevy customers, then they'll do fine. If you get the stereotypical guy in the plaid coat who essentially has his only interest is to get you to sign a contract today, especially if it's the last five days of the month, then, you know, they run the risk of damaging, damaging the rollout. We'll see. I, do, I was pleased to note that not every single Chevrolet dealer automatically sells the Volt. They had to apply. They had to agree to get special training both for the service side and the sales side, and they had to agree to keep one in the dealership at all times so that whenever someone stops in, they actually can see and drive a Volt. And that's, you know, that's tough because if there's a $41,000 car sitting there, which will sell at or above sticker, dealers have a heavy motivation to sell it to make the money, but they're being required to keep it there. So. Like I said, we'll see, but I'm looking forward to visiting dealers in, oh, a few months. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, to say the least, because I'll be uh, knocking on their doors as well to just, so be aware, people, I'm coming to your Chevy dealer, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and the I other, might play stupid, but 
we'll find out. And then we'll wrap it up again on another show and and trade notes, John. You I bet. Think that we'll have plenty of funny stories about that. But seriously, though, dealers that do go through that process, um, at least the ones that went through the Think electric car process, um, do try to get it. Do try to uh, get people in cars. I remember um, there was a dealership out in Long Island for Ford that uh, was very aggressive, but they got it. They wanted the car there. They wanted to sell the car. Uh, and I think that that's <clears throat> if you get that buy-in from the from the the dealership, especially the owner, and you get the buy-in from the salesman, um, and they actually absorb what GM is telling them. The question also is, what is GM telling them on how to sell the car right. or Chevy, I should say? Um, if all those stars align. We've got a good shot. Yep. And um, the, the other thing, the other thing I think to remember, in line with the comment about low volume, is that while folks like you and me are very attuned to the Volt, most of the country hasn't heard of the Volt, or they sort of vaguely have a notion that there's some kind of Chevy out there that's that's yeah. slightly different. And the right. bulk of reduction in carbon footprint from personal transportation from the, for the next 10 years is actually going to come from gasoline engine cars getting much, much more efficient, fitting smaller, harder working, more efficient engines. And, you know, electric cars get media attention way, way, way out of proportion to the actual number that are going to be sold and the impact they're going to have. This is a this is a conversion or a transition that's going to take multiple generations. You know, we're at 2010 now. By 2050, we may have, you know, some number like 20 or 30 or 40 percent of global miles being driven on electricity, but not till then. The bulk of the reduction of carbon output from personal transport is going to come when your Ford Taurus, which used to have a big, lazy V6, is running on, let's say, a 1.8 or 2-liter 4 that puts out 200, 250 horsepower, moves around a car that's 30% lighter, that's way more aerodynamic, yep. with all of the stuff that people want today. You know, that's how we're going to cut mileage. And that car might conceivably get, you know, 30 miles a gallon for a full-size American sedan in regular usage. That, in some ways is what the bulk of the DOE, the Department of Energy funding for retooling to make more efficient cars went to. You know, a lot, a lot gets made about Tesla getting funding and Fisker getting funding. Nissan got uh, money to build a plant to make not only Nissan Leaf electric cars, but also the lithium-ion batteries for them. Um, yes. But what people forget is that Ford got $8 billion dollars to retool to make essentially much, much smaller gasoline engines, many of them the EcoBoost engines. You know, that's more than all of the other grants announced to date rolled together. You know, Ford is, yes, Ford's going to make a few electrics. Is simpler? Say again? Is that because the EcoBoost technology is simpler to integrate into cars going forward? Um, in a way, yeah. I mean, it's certainly easier for buyers. They don't have to do anything different. They still put gasoline in the tank. They just put less of it in. 
Um, You know, it's electric plug-in cars are a transition that takes a couple of generations. People have to get used to it. People have to change their their houses. You know, there's the whole issue, which I won't get into right now, public charging points. Do you really need as many as some people think? How does that work? How do you build people? What do you do about all the apartment residents? Many, many, many questions. But There's a lot of those, yes. Yeah. You know, we can't wait until 2030 or something like that to cut the carbon footprint of transportation and use less gasoline for all of the many reasons, including energy security. So what's going to happen is that, you know, there will come a day when – a six-passenger sedan that only gets 15 miles a gallon will be looked at as like a Model T. And, you know, 35 or 40-mile-a-gallon compact cars will be the rule rather than the exception. I, yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point because, uh, well, also, aren't there increased fuel economy standards that, are, that have been imposed over the next several years that mm-hmm. are more important in the first place? Well, and that's, that's what's driving all of this. They're, the standards are, in the U.S., it's about gas mileage. In Europe, it's about fuel efficiency and or carbon output. But right. even China, you know, China has pretty tough standards on uh, emissions and uh, carbon output and fuel and gas mileage as well, you know. All around the world, the car makers are seeing that, in fact, people are saying, nope, they've got to be more efficient. You've got to do more with less gasoline. You know, the car makers would not be doing this otherwise, let's be quite clear, because it costs them a lot of money. The cars are going to be more expensive to consumers, and yeah. we all know that people chronically overweight the initial purchase price and underweight total cost of ownership, which is one of the, the uphill battles that electric cars face in their first decade or so, because, you know, the $41,000 Volt is the same size as a Chevy Cruze with one fewer seats, and the Cruze starts well under $20,000. They do fundamentally the same thing. They just do it differently. Um, but the Volt only costs sort of two or three cents a mile to run. The Cruze costs, what, 10, 15 cents, depending on, you know, depending on the price mile. of gasoline. But people don't pay attention to running costs. They only look at what's my monthly payment. Correct. And that's, I think, an issue that even on uh, how people go don't understand how to go green is that they need to change their buying habits and how they need to change their buying habits. It's kind of like what I'm doing with my book, Green Lighting, mm-hmm. how, yeah, you can go to the Home Depot and buy yourself a, buck, uh, a CFL for a dollar, or you can get the the Philips LED. Mm-hmm. Now, a Philips LED might cost you more uh, on the out, you know, on uh, at checkout. But every month for 25,000 hours of that bulb, that bulb is going to be so much cheaper on your energy bill. It's it's It'll be cheaper for me to run than all the CFLs that I've got in my house. Sure. Unfortunately, it's, it's a fairly... It's a fairly known characteristic of human behavior that we have a pretty steep discount rate for future expenditures. We're much more concerned about current expenditures. Right. Um, and we don't have enough engineers in society who do actually tend to run these numbers. You know, all the kids being brought up today, well, not all, most of the kids being educated in India today 
want to be doctors or engineers. In the U.S., most kids want to be sports stars, and they certainly don't want to be engineers, which is another and longer-term problem, but my supposition being an engineer is that if, in fact, we had a little bit more technological education, people might be better equipped to think about these things. I agree. Um, I noticed that in my son's school that they're, they're trying to integrate green education into regular education, and it's still difficult for them to do it because then you're asking people to educate people on something that they're not even used to educating themselves on. So it gets a little tricky in that respect. Yeah, sometimes it's kind of demand-pull. The kids, the kids ask a lot of questions, and um, there's certainly, in a lot of cases, as much environmental awareness among people under 18 as there is over. But, you know, as a society, we, we've sort of been conditioned to want it all now and the idea that we're not going to do anything that doesn't have an immediate payback. And, you know, find me... Find me the the sort of group of people who proudly trumpet, you know, depriving themselves now for a later goal. It's hard. It's hard to find. And uh, this this sort of leads us off well beyond green cars. So I'll, oh, no I'll wrap up that thought. Well, it has to do with you know buying patterns, which yeah. definitely has a direct link to why people are reluctant to buying electric cars. Sure. And this notion that, that, you know, stuff brings happiness. Um, It may be the phase of life I'm in, but I'm actually sort of slowly getting rid of stuff. Um, But, you know, in terms of transport, uh, there will, at the margins, there will be changes in the way we look at the whole function of transportation. Um, If you talk to urban residents under, say, 25, the zip car model of sort of, you know, it's rental, but it's it's very pointed rental, even for a couple of hours, or of a very specific type of car. You know, that model, no muss, no fuss, have your car, don't sign any papers, sign up for the service ahead of time, and just sort of, you know, take your card, and the car unlocks itself, and you go. That model replaces a certain amount of car ownership or supplements it. And I think the hope is that people won't necessarily buy vehicles that meet their needs sort of the nth percent of time, you know. Do you really need a vehicle with seven seats if you only have one kid because you may once or twice a year have to haul around a school class or, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things like that. Um, no, but, but I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Car buying behavior changes very, very slowly. At the, at the height of gas price uh, inflation two or three years ago, you know, the model mix that people were buying changed so abruptly that if you continued that pattern of sales, which, of course, it didn't. It went right back as, as gas prices went down. Oh, for sure. Um, yep. If you continued that pattern of sales, you would essentially have exceeded all of the 2015 fuel mileage requirements instantly. <laughs> but... You know, it's people in general, and this is not just the U.S., across all cultures, by and large, people buy the largest, most powerful, and most well-equipped car that they believe they can afford to buy and run. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just that running costs are much higher in Europe. Anyway, what else can I tell you, Seth? What can you tell me, John? Uh, well, we, I was telling people about... Uh, 
the electric car conversion uh, market segment and that there are more car electric car conversion companies out there than there ever have been before and uh, um, that uh, over time that that market segment seems to be wanting to increase um, while they you know people the early adopters are still waiting for the you know the leaf and the volt and things like that there are people out there increasingly still wanting to take an older car and convert it to electric and we're starting to see more of that regularly um at least i know that from the book sales of uh, bill drone electric vehicle second edition people are interested mm -hmm. people want to know and i think that uh hopefully that the concept of building your own electric vehicle will increase also as battery prices get cheaper. Um, and I know that that's the hardest part for most people is the battery cost and where do I convert this sucker. Um, and also when people can realize that they can extend the life of that that battery or things you know that we're starting to see. I saw a report on Tree Hugger where they're even saying soap and wax can extend the life of uh, lithium-ion batteries. Um, so there are little things that are starting to occur, and I, this whole DIY concept uh, is really starting to take steam, at least on Planet Green's website, uh, and at least through the book sales. And um, I think that people are interested. They just, you know, it's once again, it goes back to before I even um, got on the air with you, is that there's this report out there that with all this stuff that people are telling people how to go green, the majority of people in this country still don't know how to go green. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it, and and yeah. some of the yeah. more some of the more meaningful parts of going green actually require you to change your life. And most of the consumer survey data that I've seen says that essentially people want to go green and they like the idea of going green as long as they don't have to change anything that they actually do. Um, and so, <laughs> you know. Um, well, lighting might be a simple version of it, an mm. easier ver uh, layup for people than an electric car, and I get that. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I, if you look at the at the reasons that people buy cars in my field, and you know, I cover the auto industry that makes new cars, not so much conversions and, and things right. more in your domain there. But if you look at what people look for in cars, gas mileage is up there in the top ten. It's rarely number one. Only when gas sort of spikes to $4 a gallon, people get scared, does it break the top five. But, you know, it's, it's in there. People are now paying attention to gas mileage. But sort of having a car that has a lower environmental impact is down in the weeds. It's like toward number 50. Yeah. It's just not something that people really think about. You know, you want to you wanna go green in your personal transportation? Drive less. But yeah. You know, we live, we live in suburbs where people who walk on the cul-de-sacs or walk out along the side of the major highway to get to the strip mall four miles away that's the nearest place to buy milk get stopped by the police and asked what they're doing. We have built a car-centered culture in most of suburban America that essentially discourages, actively discourages, walking and biking. You know, take an American, plop them down into the middle of Amsterdam, 
where there are something like three times as many bikes as cars, and literally everyone bikes. Admittedly, it's very flat, so it's easy to do. You know, the Americans feel like they've gone to Mars. Oh, it's funny. I I have to agree with you in that respect, given that I I actually, as we've said before, I live in a total, total suburb. And I'm doing, for my own personal health, but also just in general, starting to walk more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I live close to the village anyway. And I said, duh, if I'm going to go get a cup of coffee, why don't I just walk? And I've noticed my pants getting a little bit lighter, but that's a whole other story. And I, I do notice a couple of things that people are shocked when people walk across a big intersection. Yeah. They're like, whoa. Uh, and especially if you bike, bicycle across that big intersection, it gets a little tricky. And biking, you know, four to six miles one way sometimes, people, people are like, it's like you're the anomaly on the road. Yeah. You're totally the anomaly on the road. It, well, and it's taken essentially 30 years of activism to get to the point where many state and local Department of Transportations are now required by law to, to analyze what's called complete streets, which is to say, instead of viewing the DOT's mission as making it easier for cars to get places, they have to view it as their mission to make it easier for cars and bicycles and pedestrians to get places. Well, here, here. Finally. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I'm noticing it too because we're starting to get more sidewalks yeah. or at least improvement of the existing sidewalks in our area. And it takes, uh, you know, it takes local effort. People have to want this. They have to prioritize it. Go to a city like Davis, California, where, again, you know, sort of like Amsterdam, people bike everywhere all the time. You know, they have a network of bike trails. They have bike lanes on the street. Even in Manhattan, where I live, amazingly, they now have physically separated bike lanes. There are something like 80 or 100,000 people a day within the 8 million people in New York City who commute by bicycle. That's a lot. That is a lot. You know, that's that's 1% or a little bit more. You you know, especially given some of the uh, misconceptions about uh, traffic, you wouldn't necessarily expect that, but you know, in flat parts and where you have dedicated bike lanes, it's incredibly efficient. But it's you know, it's the built environment, and I think you know, one of my little hobby horses is people don't recognize how much the built environment constrains what you do. Added to which, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. compared to the way I grew up, which was sort of a come home from school, chat with your parents, chat with your mom, and then sort of get lost, come back for dinner at six o'clock. The kids don't go out and roam. They don't go out on their bicycles. They don't you know, go bike. Yeah. In many cases, yeah. In many cases, they're not allowed out of the backyard. So, you know, there's not necessarily this notion of um, exploring and getting out there and traversing different areas. But yeah, I think I'm hopeful. I'm uh, yeah, I'm grateful that at least I'm teaching my kids how to get out of the house and walk. <laughs> from one place to another because uh, you don't see that often in this town. Exactly. I was going to say, though, uh, saying regarding, uh, are you there, John? You're gone. Well, I'm going to finish up here because I think that we're almost done with this show. But I'm just going to add that uh, one thing that John was saying, which is really, really true, 
when I was walking one time at a big intersection in my area where a lot of diesel, heavy-duty diesel trucks fly by, um, given that there has been this change in the diesel fuel, the ultra-low uh, ultra sulfur diesel that has occurred, and the transformation to that type of diesel in the United States, it is a little bit cleaner. You're starting to see less black smoke up in the air. So I do understand that we have to transition our engines first before we can really get everybody to go all electric. But you know me, I'm an electric car enthusiast. Now I'm going to push the envelope every day of the week. That's just how I roll. <laughs> anyway, we've had a good EV wrap-up show. I've given people some updates. Uh, next show I'm going to do in a week, guys, I want you to be ready because I'm going to start taking questions, and we'll even get some extra special guests coming on to help us with these questions. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, guys. I have a lot of fun every time I do this show, but uh, time to go. Green Living Guy saying out, one small step at a time, and look, if you can't get that electric car or you're waiting for the Volt or you're waiting for the Leaf or whatever, just drive your car more efficiently. Walk a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. But stay tuned for these electric cars because we're going to be constantly pushing it out there. Green Living Guy saying out. Peace.